Hello, and welcome to Stories from the World podcast series, copyright 2020, all rights reserved. This is David Robert Farmery. Hello, welcome, and how are you? Today's episode is about authenticity. Yesterday, I had spent the day in Huntsville, Alabama for some personal reasons. Anyhow, this morning as I was leaving, I found this little place for a cup of coffee, went in, and while I was waiting for things to get taken care of, I had a conversation with a young woman that was working there. And throughout the conversation, one thing led to another, and we began talking about authenticity and the importance of authenticity in the world and within our own individual lives. This, of course, got me thinking long after my conversation with her. In fact, it had me thinking up until the very moment that I came to do this podcast episode, which is actually what prompted me to do this particular podcast episode. I decided, for the authenticity of this episode, to actually look it up in the dictionary to see what it had to say. The example they give is the authenticity of a painting, genuineness, bona fides, legitimacy, legality, validity. But the second part of this is what really gets me and what I really resonate with. The authenticity of this account, reliability, dependability, trustworthiness, credibility, accuracy, truth. It is those words that really and truly resonate with me, with my personal definition, my personal interpretation of authenticity within my own life. The majority of the work I've done over my 42, 43-year career has been in documenting indigenous and vanishing cultures, and it's there that I really learned the importance of authenticity. Many of these indigenous cultures that I had lived with all over the world had no word in their vocabulary for a lie simply because it wasn't possible to tell a lie. If someone lied, it was just known. By the same token, if someone approached them with a hidden agenda, which is essentially a lie, that too was known. As an example, many years ago, I was hired to photograph a scientific expedition into the deep equatorial forest of the Congo. The area that we needed to get to was about 30 kilometers back into the equatorial forest, and this area was controlled by a local tribe, which meant that we needed to get their permission to go back. We made arrangements to meet with the elders, which meant spending the day, spending the night, sitting around a campfire and explaining to them why we wanted to go back. After we did this, the elders went off and they met. And when they came back, they said, no, you can't have permission to go back. When we asked why, they said simply, because you lied to us. In the end, it turned out to be simply a mistake. It was a misunderstanding on their part, and it was something that was just simply lost in the translation from our language to theirs. The point being that having authenticity, in other words, telling the truth and being up front about everything is paramount. And here's another example. It's a story that I truly love to tell, but so rarely do. Again, it was many years ago. 
I had been working on several stories in the Yucatan Peninsula. In fact, the original reason that I ended up there in the first place is I had been sent by a major newspaper to do a story on the Zapatista, the revolutionaries, which, now that I think about it, is another great example of authenticity, but I don't want to digress. One of the long-term stories that I ended up working on when I was down there was with a group of Maya called Lacandone. In the Lacandone people, there were three villages of Lacandone left, but the Lacandone were the only Maya that were never conquered or had never been conquered by the Spanish conquistadors. The Lacandone people lived back in the rainforest far from any type of civilization. And because they had never been conquered by the conquistadors, they still lived the same way that the Maya did 2,000 years before. And with the Lacandone, I could have told them a story about, say, banking in the United States, which they knew nothing about. Yet, if I lied about it, they would have known. The grave consequence with telling a lie to them is that they never would have opened up their culture to me. They never would have trusted me. As time went on, however, I was able to, little by little, gain their trust. But then something remarkable, truly remarkable, happened. And this is where my own authenticity, my own openness came into play. It happened after my second or third time having spent time in the village. And when I say spent time in the village, I mean about two or three weeks at a time. After each stint in the village, I would always return to the city of San Cristobal, which is the capital city of Chiapas. This is a process that was pretty much ritualistic with me as it helped me to readjust to a more social environment, especially when I had been off into remote regions for so long, and it really helped to stave off culture shock. But I digress, sort of. I always stayed at the same place in San Cristobal. Years ago, back in the Spanish occupation, it had been a monastery, but now it was a cultural center, and it was devoted predominantly to the culture of the Lacandon people. Within the main part of this cultural center, they had several rooms that were essentially like a bed and breakfast. Also within the main part of this cultural center was a dining area that had a wooden table roughly about 15 feet long. Three times a day, communal meals were served at this table. Separate from the main building were several small cabins, and these were set aside for the Lacandone people. Let me explain, because this is where the story kind of gets back on track. For the most part, when Lacandone people experience any kind of illness or disease or injury, they tend to heal it spiritually. But every once in a while, there is a situation that requires a doctor. And this is where the profoundness of this story begins. It was late in the day, the day before I was to leave San Cristobal and begin my journey back to the United States. I had found out that Antonio, who was now the elder of the Lacandone village of Naha, was actually staying at Nabalone, the cultural center. I found out which cabin he was staying in and made my way to have a conversation with him. I had no idea whatsoever why he was staying at Nabalone, but I thought that it was worth checking to see if he had brought any beads with him, beads that his wife makes that they usually sell to the tourists. 
I know you're probably wondering where in the heck is this story going, but trust me, this is where it gets really good. When I inquired, Antonio told me that he didn't have any with him. Without even thinking about it, I just replied, well, I'll tell you what, here, I'll just give you some money now and have Co. make me some beads and the next time I come back, you can give them to me. No amount of money was discussed between us. I simply opened my wallet and I took out, I don't even remember how many pesos it was, and I handed it to him. And that was that. I said goodbye and I'll see you next trip. And I walked away. Now let's fast forward to my next visit to the Lacandone village. On this trip, I did something that I rarely, rarely ever do. I took someone with me. And the person I took was my dearest friend in the whole world. His name was Dell. And the reason I say was is because sadly, Dell is no longer with us. Okay, so let me set the stage here a little bit. Okay, Dell had never ever been out of the United States. In fact, Dell had really not even traveled much out of the small rural town that he lived in. So here we are in the middle of nowhere. And I mean, seriously, this is like a seven hour drive from civilization of any kind. And here we are in the middle of this rainforest in a culture that has not changed in 2000 years. Dell's mind is completely blown, but in a really good way. Everything is going smoothly. First day, second day, third day, everything is wonderful. And then my liaison guy comes up to me and says, David, there's a bit of a problem. I'm like what? He said, the village is calling a meeting. And I said, okay, well, what's the meeting about? You, he said. What do you mean it's about me? What are they trying to discuss? It's a problem of how much you've been photographing. I'm like, what do you mean? Because when I came back to the village, as I did with every other trip, I asked permission. Everybody said, yes, it's fine. Just go ahead and photograph. Go ahead and film. But evidently, unbeknownst to me, because no one told me, is a lot of the villagers felt that I was filming and photographing too much. And this goes back, seriously, to that whole taking the spirit from people, which I am actually a firm believer of. Anyhow, I asked my liaison person, so what's the deal? He said, well, they're going to have a meeting and the outcome will be one of a few things. Either you will have to pay, and he mentioned some amount of money which was so exorbitant that there was no way we could pay it. The other option was is that they would kill us. And I mean, I'm being serious, they would just kill us. So here I am in the middle of nowhere with my friend Dell, who has never been out of the United States and rarely out of the rural community that he lives in. And now we're faced with this. There's nowhere to run because, as I mentioned earlier, we're a seven hour drive from any kind of civilization. So there we are sitting outside the meeting hall on the back of a truck waiting to hear our fate. At one point, two young Lacandone boys walked by us and they were carrying a live chicken by its feet. And Del and I, I'm serious about this, Del and I just kind of looked at each other and busted out laughing because 
we were kind of sharing the same fate as that chicken. Anyhow, to fast forward once again, this time to the end of the meeting, my liaison guy walks out. And again, this had been about an hour and a half that we were waiting. So my liaison guy walks out and he comes up to me. He said, well, David, the meeting is over. They've made a decision. I'm like, okay, what? He said, you can photograph whatever you want as much as you want. You don't have to pay anything. And here's where the story culminates. Of course, I was truly dumbfounded. I mean, I was elated, don't get me wrong, but I was dumbfounded. And I asked the the obvious question. I said, why? What happened? And he said, Antonio, who is now the elder, stood up and spoke on your behalf. It turned out that the reason that Antonio was in San Cristobal staying at the cultural center on my previous trip when I wanted to buy the beads is because his daughter Teresa had some sort of a parasite in her shin bone and it was uncurable or incurable by spiritual means. So they had to see a doctor, a specialist. The problem was is that Antonio did not have enough money to pay for the specialist. But the money that I gave him for the beads was the exact amount of money that he needed for the specialist. And because of that, his daughter's life was literally saved. As it was told to me, had she not seen the specialist and been treated, she would have died. In being authentic to myself, and to my relationship with Antonio, I simply trusted and gave him the money. And because of that, I literally saved his daughter's life. And because of that, Antonio literally saved my life and my dear friend Dell's life through his own authenticity. Once we choose to live authentically, and once we choose to live in that realm of authenticity, so many new opportunities and experiences open up to us. And I have to tell you, it is addicting. And when you are around people or you are around experiences that are not authentic, you begin to crave it. You begin to long for it. In fact, it was a couple of years ago, a few years ago, I don't know. You know, I'm bad on time. I've told you that before. But anyhow, I had been off the road for a while and I was just living with being surrounded by all of this drama that's going on and I needed authenticity. I needed something to just get me back to that which is authentic. And then Hurricane Michael came about. (laughs) I'm serious. I heard about the hurricane, and when I woke up that early that morning, I heard on the news broadcast that Hurricane Michael was going to hit landfall at such and such a time. I looked at my watch. My brain went racing. I thought, you know what? I have enough time that I can get down to Florida either before it hits or soon after it hits. And I got into the expedition, and I headed south. And sure enough, I got there just after it hit landfall. And looking at the radar on my iPhone and and figuring out where everything was, I got to within about a mile of the outside west wall of the hurricane. And I parked the vehicle because, because of everything that was on the roads. I couldn't go any further. And I sat there and I watched. 
I experienced the hurricane. And I mean, stuff was flying everywhere and it was bouncing off the car. And I saw the sky actually turn, rotate. And I was blown away. But, and I'm being so dead serious about this, it was, for me at least, pure authenticity. After the hurricane had passed, Obviously, I couldn't go any, any, any further south, so I had to turn around, and I couldn't go west, I couldn't go east, because all the roads were ripped up, so I had to go back north, and then I had to kind of take a left and head west, and then I had to take another left and head south again, and I ended up in Fairhope, Alabama, and that is where I spent the night. But here is another thing that is, for me, it was just so great, is the next morning, when I woke up, and I came out of my hotel room and I was walking down the corridor to go get breakfast, the sky was completely blue and there was just a hint of a breeze. And that's when I had this phenomenal realization, this phenomenal insight, at least for me it was. This realization was that Mother Nature truly has no agenda. You talk about authentic. This hurricane came through, but the hurricane was not... Mother Nature being vengeful or angry or taking revenge. It was none of that. It was a matter of this circumstance and that circumstance and that circumstance came together and that created this hurricane to build and hit landfall. And when it hit, things that were there got destroyed. But again, there was nothing vengeful about this. And once the hurricane passed through, there was calmness. It was as if nothing had happened the day before. My soul had been rejuvenated and enlightened. And I knew once again what true authenticity is. Until next time, I want to thank you sincerely for joining me and for allowing me to share with you another story from the world. Yes, just as a reminder, it's copyright 2020, and yes, all rights are indeed reserved. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.